Here we are. Hi and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and fellow entrepreneurs of the regenerative movement. People who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. And today's guest is a repeat guest. That's Scott Schwenk. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Scott is a hybrid of practicality and visionary insight. He has been catalyzing the inner evolution and leadership development of individuals, relationships, and larger groups, as well as organizations for more than 25 years. His work and teaching is a blend of stillness, unexpected expansion, laughter, discovery, and potent actionable insights, revealing dynamic inner freedom and a thriving outer life. And so we'll talk about those unexpected expansions, the sources and tools of abundant joy today. Um, yeah, Scott, I'm, I'm stoked to be here with you. Likewise, I'm, I'm happy to be with, him, with you in any dialogue just about. Yeah, unexpected. That's, that's a, a good one to not plan for. I'm, I'm really curious about how, you know, you, you talk about joy and abundant joy as, you know, the that's almost like the essence of the source that's always there and it's ours it's ours to attune to it or make space for it um, but i'd love for you to just elaborate quite a bit more about what your version or vision or or you know definition of abundant joy really is so understanding that words are made up and constructed and they can't really convey the full essence of a reality we do the best we can with words. So abundant joy gets as close as I can in language to my experience of the great self we all share in common. That I continue to experience more deeply and more vastly as my own practice unfolds over time. Joy, I find to be a condensed form of love. So they're essentially for me rays of one light expressions of one force and the abundant peace is an easier way and, and a less uh, polarizing way of saying eternal eternal omnipresent omnipotent omniscient abundant yeah when i have when i'm abiding in the self, there's no sense that anything's missing. So in that wholeness, in that felt sense of fullness, there's a natural joy. As soon as there's the sense that something's missing, that joy seems to wane temporarily. Not because it goes somewhere, but because my attention goes somewhere. So my life has been training in this. And you know, when I look back 25 years to when I was given a Sanskrit name by my, my teacher, one of the translations, even though you can't really accurately translate Sanskrit with a couple of English words, is great joy and delight. The name is Prahlad, P-R-A-H-L-A-D, Prahlad. Prahlad was born the son of a demon king but he was born uh, a devotee of the divine. He received teachings in his mother's womb and his father tried all these ways to convert him. His father, the king Haranyakashpur, it's a powerful demon king uh, and he wouldn't convert. 
he just would chant Ram Ram Ram, all these Vishnu chants, just happy. And he tried all these ways to kill him when he couldn't convert him. And every time he would be spared. And the people who were trying to bring him into the pit of poisonous snakes or the fire would be incinerated and Prahlad would just emerge unscathed. And one day, Ramikashpu says to his son, you know, you say, well, first of all, the king had a boon, as these demons tend to have a special protection that he got from an incarnation of the divine. And it's this, he couldn't be killed inside or outside by day or by night, by man or by beast. So one day at twilight, he's in a rage and he's shouting at his son, you say this God of yours is everywhere. Is he in the ceiling? Yes, father, he's in the ceiling. He's in the floor. Yes, he's in the floor. Is he in this post, this entryway? Yes. Then I will destroy this entryway and takes his broadsword and he's about to destroy it. And out of this post emerges at twilight, half man, half lion, Narasimha, an incarnation of Vishnu. And he picks up the king and he gores out his entrails and thus liberates him. It was his final lifetime as a demon. The backstory is he was originally a guard at Vaikuntha. Vishnu's abode and he screwed up and he was cursed to live three lifetimes in a demon and he had to be liberated by an incarnation of the divine. So this big long story unfolds all to show that nothing's really happening. There's just the appearance of things happening. One force is becoming objects and beings infinitely playing a story, playing a, a divine play temporarily. And meanwhile, you've got this character played by Prahlad who is attuned inward to the source of joy and is protected because of it and doesn't need to proselytize or convert anybody or make them think anything. He's just tuning to joy. And this has been my experience in my training. Said that when your teacher gives you a good authentic name, that name is aspirational. Hmm. It's a mantra. It's a contemplation. So I've come to realize that my path of evolution is through great joy and delight. There's a tantric teaching about astonishment, cultivating the feeling of awe or astonishment. The Sanskrit is chamakara. Kara is maker. So that which makes wonder and awe. So looking at the rock face of Yosemite, staring out at the Grand Canyon, standing in front of the Mona Lisa, looking at the, some architecture, like one, I think it's one World Trade Center, it's called the, new, the newest, the replacement for the, the Twin Towers, different things, or seeing incredible acts of bravery and generosity that help people. They cultivate a feeling of chamakara, and then the tantric teaching is follow that feeling back to its source in awareness. And it will always lead back to the self, the one energy that has become everything that is us already. Hmm. It, it manifests as joy. The abundant joy that is omnipresent. I like that a lot, Scott. This is this is pretty deep, and thanks for that 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 amazing story and taking us, you know, a little bit on a detour there to to deeper, deeper digest that. 
I'm curious with where you would take this, you know, this name that you said is an aspirational name, because as it's your aspiration, it becomes your, uh, your mission, your dedication, your devotion. And as it is your devotion, it unfolds into your life experiences. How would you re relate that to, uh, you know, how our culture in the West and, you know, in, in this modern world relates to purpose? Because I feel like there is there is some kind of overlay in the in the sense that purpose, you know, purpose isn't often a thing. It purpose is actually much more an aspiration towards, you know, something that is enriching everyone or is an abundant source of joy. Now, that's my take on it. But I'd love to hear where you see the, um, yeah, the, the connection between that. Julian, I really resonate with what you're saying, personally, that it benefits everybody. You know, I think the word in the background, again, from Sanskrit is dharma. And dharma is often misunderstood as like some sort of law that one is either doing or not doing. And the truth is that dharma is a moving target from moment to moment. My best understanding that I've received is it's, well, it's the best path forward for everybody in the moment. Everybody who's included in the moment, what's the best path forward now? And that may be different tomorrow. But to be listening to dharma is to be alive. It's to be conscious. It's to be present enough to discern what is the dharma of the moment. And notice how my, my GPS of my feeling state can actually help me know if I'm aligned with dharma or not. So I don't have to depend on the intellect. Like if I'm feeling my chest expand open and heat up as I'm making choices, that usually indicates to me that I'm moving in the direction of dharma and love and compassion. If I feel tense, shaky, um, brain fog and confronted with a, a decision or a group choice, generally there's something I'm overstepping and I need to slow down and go inward and contemplate and realign, course correct. You know, like the, the airline pilot or the captain of a ship is always course correcting because air waves and water waves are always moving. You're never straight on course, like us. Yeah, that brings a picture into my head that, you know, the expression of what, what I just called purpose is never a direct line. There is this like, there's always going to be a real detour if you look at it in, in hindsight. So, yeah. And then there's local purpose. Like mm. if I tell you I'll be at your house at six o'clock for dinner, my local purpose is to arrive on time. And then the way I was brought up to make sure I've picked up a gift for you and your household to arrive with, to not arrive empty handed and ideally to arrive bathed and in a congenial mood of some sort, you know? That seems to be part of the local purpose of showing up for the dinner invitation mm -hmm. while attending to my true nature in the midst of whatever I'm doing. I'd invite you for dinner, but right now the borders between the US and Canada are closed. So you're gonna have a hard time coming up here. Sure. <laughs> yeah, very much. There's, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of layers to purpose and that's why I continuously come back to it to kind of take it apart as a word that doesn't turn into just another buzz buzzword direction that everyone tries to 
figure out, but that we're much more, you know, creating this abundant joy connection that's deeply omnipresent as we're tuning to it. Now, I know that you, um, you know, just, just recently launched a new course on uh, onecommune.com, which is one of the platforms that people get to breathe with you if they're not in Los Angeles or if they're in Los Angeles in, their, in the comfort of their home. You want to share a little bit about um, what's, what's, what's going on there? Sure. So the first course was a five-day course called Ecstatic Breathwork, and it was primarily focused on rhythmic breathing through the mouth and, and ways to approach that and apply it to different situations. This next course is, is the course I always wanted to take when I was a kid. I wished I had had it. It's a complete path of practices, a suite of practices that really add up to waking up more deeply and growing up more fully and recognizing our nature progressively as abundant joy. So it can be taken as a seven day course and many people are in the free period right now and it's first seven days are free, sponsored by Thrive Market. But really it's a 21 day course. So there's seven main days of material that are meant to be repeated three times. Mm. And then each week there's a new welcome video from me with some additional teachings to unpack some of the practices like how to actually go from intellectually repeating a word in my head called a mantra to actually feeling some of the power in it ever more deeply. There's three bonus meditations, a 10, a 20, and uh, the 30 or 40 minute meditation, that final one, toolbox videos on the levels of listening, how the law of attraction actually can be broken down into real activities of awareness in the moment, setting and manifesting intentions, and so much more. There's a course community that's pretty robust. There's nearly 500 people there already interacting, and it's within communes site, so you don't have to depend on social media to engage in the community discussion answering questions and things. The main meat of the material is seven micro breathing techniques, one each day, like a grounding breath, um, a balancing breath for the brain, alternate nostril breathing. The ecstatic breath work is available every day, different playlists, guided meditation, affirmation practice to really work deeply with the law of attraction and see the fruits of it come in positively um, and it blends together it blends together it's a, it's a little over 70 minutes of, of material for each of the days that can be broken apart throughout the day or done all at once beautiful that's really that's really powerful that it's uh, you know designed to be a continuous three-week journey i remember um, taking your ecstatic breathwork course and really getting a lot out of it. You know, I share a lot of um, breath work with people as well and have, have, you know, an ongoing breath practice in every day. But there's something about the ecstatic abundant joy that was able to be accessed through it that I really, I really um, I cherished actually. And it's something that I've included into my practice ever since. So yeah, I'll make sure to link this out to make sure people can find it and make sure that people, you know, that are resonating with it and feeling that gravity or that, that, um, magnetism towards your teachings can find it maybe because i'm curious and you know you know i'm curious maybe from your perspective like what did you really enjoy about making this this specific course and like what's one of the highlights that you're really like just joyful about my own practice along the way i knew that to be able to deliver this course and have it have a powerful ever evergreen impact you know it'll be out there ongoingly it's not set in time that i had to and have to 
practice more deeply. So I haven't said this in any of the interviews yet. And I'll say it here. It's kept me accountable to going deeper in my own practice. I'm not observed most of my days since quarantine began. People aren't watching what I'm doing unless the camera's on. Mm -hmm. So, but my life continues and every thought and feeling I practice is shaping and directing energy. So this right behind me is a yantra. It shapes and directs energy. It's the really the, the archetype of the course. It's the energy of abundance known as Lakshmi. So every time I walk into this workspace where I am right now, I see this and it's a reminder for me to practice the course mantra. It's a reminder for me to alchemize any tensions that are coming up and hold them in compassion and joy. So I feel like having designed the course in preparation and now is help me feel accountable happily to grow even more radically myself and to feel a part of the community. Whatever I teach, I always feel like I'm also a participant choosing to grow. I love that. This is a very real topic, right? Is the way we're able to go deeper with our own practices and how we're actually accountable to them. I definitely got really challenged this year myself through the different layers of it was it lockdown or quarantine or, you know, I call it a Corona revolution um, that made us aware of, of some of our not so integrated states. Um, luckily, I, I do find my way back to my practices but definitely was, was quite a bit of a different energy. And my question for you there is like, how do you deal with the discomfort and the, like the challenge that comes up through this unexpected and this difficult unexpected? So in other words, you know, I, I still have the impression that a lot of people when they venture into their personal practices or they're, um, you know, following a teacher or, that there is this idea that this teacher has it all figured out. This person, <laughs> right? Yeah, this person like knows and, and they never go through hardship or there's nothing difficult or lonely or anxious or depressing. I'm less than a week away from the first anniversary of being with my mom in hospice, watching her waste away and die from cancer after a 12-year battle. I absolutely have issues in my life that I have to bring to the practices or bring into the practices to work with and to get up in the morning, to want to get up in the morning. The beginning of quarantine, I really had to work with myself to suddenly be cut off. Like some of my performer friends, you know, my friend Ty Taylor, who was used to touring around the world with his band Vintage Trouble. He wrote on his, his social media about like how hard it was after years of being in front of huge audiences. He toured with the Who and the Rolling Stones and would crowd surf, you know, while he was singing. And to not have that symbiotic relationship that I was used to teaching in a studio to large groups of people, and instead looking at the back of my phone to teach classes transmitted through Vimeo's side app was really disheartening. And I started getting depressed and lonely. And what really woke me back up is, again, touching on how many people are feeling some way as I'm feeling right now and feeling compassion for all of us. How can I serve? How can I serve? I feel like we're up to And me inclusive of the service. Yeah. Me inclusive of the service. I can't cut myself out or that's a bypass. Mm. 
absolutely. I feel like we're up to something here because you know there there is there is definitely like an illusion around like reaching the perfect state, but then at the same time we started this conversation about abundant joy and how it's omnipresent. Now that doesn't exclude though that we're as a species, you know, when I look at the ecological state of this planet, I would say anybody who tells us that they're never experiencing the sentiments of a depression or the feeling of like loneliness, I'd want to call bullshit on that because the state of our species on this planet right now, the ecological reflection, the impact we're having, it's quite depressive in the sense of how we're interacting with each other, the planet, the resources. And so for me, the paradox that's there between abundant joy and the like adversity that's very real, um, it, it's like a nourishing soil. It's like a nourishing ground for something. But sometimes I have a hard time explaining or expressing that. So I'd be really curious to see how that, how that resonates with you. You could consider it like this, that abundant joy is actually the screen, like a movie screen, upon which or from which all these temporary phenomenon like rainforest destruction, um, online courses, um, human interactions are emergent. What they're made from, we are all made from one source and one of its natures is abundant joy. The source that we are made from is not just held here in the earth. It's cosmocentric. It's, it's throughout the entire multiverse. And if we, if we panned out to look at just from the edges of our galaxy back at the earth, it's a really humbling, refreshing perspective that this is not the only game in town, what's happening here on the earth. It matters because this is where we are. This is where I am. This is where my dharma is. To do my best to care for this place and care for my body and care for my relationships and see that all three are part of one thing. My relationships, my body, and this planet are all part of one thing. One is not more important than another. The same energy gives livingness to all of those aspects. So for me, it's, it's, it's simple, and it wasn't always simple. This sense of pervasive omnipresent awareness doesn't go away. And I can experience suffering at the same time. And I can get lost in it if I don't watch myself. But I never lose, and nor, nor will the great self go away. There's a story in the wonderful, one of my top two favorite spiritual books. Um, first one is Meditation for the Love of by my mentor, Sally Kempton. Second one is the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying by Sogyal Rinpoche. And there's a famous story in there, and I don't remember who it was. He's talking about a very high lama who's really deeply realized, profoundly realized tantric master. And his son had died. And his students came to him and they say, but Rinpoche, that's what you call a great teacher. Rinpoche, you teach us that all is illusion. Why are you crying? He said, yes, but the death of one's own child is a super illusion. It's an important teaching that I put my shoes on my feet and my hat on my head, even they're both made of the same substance. So it's knowing on multiple levels at the same time. It's knowing that all is perfect exactly the way that it is. And locally, in my country, there's tremendous discord and problematic natures that are systemic that need addressing on so many levels. Healthcare, prison reform, financial systems, education. 
So it's to hold both. And from the connection, if I can make a direct connection to a more coherent source of awareness that you could call grace or God or nature or whatever you want to call it, if I'm directly connected, I'm coming from a source that can help me see these local issues differently, to see solutions where other people see walls. Seems to me we're, we're in our dialogues, Scott, often coming back to that paradox of being able to hold two ideas or states simultaneously that then allows you to see solutions rather than walls, right? which is one of those uh, steps, I would say, of self-realization is to realize that because this, this realm, you do put the same substance on your hat, the hat on the head and the shoes on the feet, um, even though it's so clearly separate, that's just the, the illusionary part of this realm. Meanwhile, it's all so interconnected in one. So this, this way of how you guided us into this paradox, I think is very beautiful and visible. Now, how do we, I wanna bring it back to the context of the, the ecological experience we're having with planet earth, right? How do we bring something like that? That's a very powerful spiritual teaching. And I think on the journey of being a human, uh, an inevitable teaching that, that people will experience sooner or later already have, how do we bring this into the context of you know, ecological sanity or ecological uh, wholesomeness? I believe that we can't love what we can't feel. And I believe wholeheartedly as a person who uses and benefits deeply from plant medicine in, in huge ways through essential oils and has experienced quite prolific benefits from engaging ceremonial with psychoactive plant medicines. And obviously, or maybe not so obviously, consumes plants physically to feed my body and as medicines. But I believe that the, the proliferation of essential oils and psychoactive plant medicines, those two things particularly right now are not accidental that Gaia, the living intelligence behind all form, is actually reaching out to the humans for rebalancing for her own survival because she is us and we are her, but it's like having a part of my hand that's diseased. Well, hopefully the other hand is willing to do something about it, recognizing that we're on one same body. And if the disease spreads through my hand, my whole body's gonna go under. But that's not a reality if I'm eating junk food, my nervous system is shut down and I can't feel the life force in a forest when I walk through it. In that situation, it's easy to cut it down and say, well, I'm not gonna be alive in two generations, let alone seven. Why should I care? It's here and now. But once somebody's had powerful experiences, whether it's psychoactive plant medicine, whether it's working with essential oils, if I've had a powerful experience of transformation, I start to have a different experience of nature. And as I have a more living experience of nature and an appreciation, I want to protect it just the way I would want to protect my family. It feels no different to me personally as Scott than my family. And just because the trees don't have a recognizable language, doesn't mean they're any less conscious to me. I feel the consciousness of plants now after training myself in meditation. It's just as palpable as walking past a person's energy field. 
I have to stop and put my hand on certain trees on my daily walk and just be there quietly with my eyes closed and listen and humbly receive teachings. And then, you know, you, you could say there are, there are some sciences that are actually tracking how to, you know, bring that into a very cognitive state, the, the sensing of energy fields or the sensing of like the trees, life force, and, um, you know, the way that it interacts, like humans interact, like, you know, the science of noetics and our ability to really understand, um, yeah, just, just energy fields as a, a plane of reality that is, Undoubtedly so, right? Physics has given us such access, particle physics in particular, studies and access to recognizing directly the, the intersubjectivity, the influence that I as an observer have on whatever I'm looking at. And it's been proven again and again and again that all of life is actually vibrating and alive. It's just the general human mind that hasn't caught up to recognizing, experiencing, and skillfully participating with that. I like how you bring it to skillfully participating. So how can we, you know, everyone who's, who's listening right now, how can we as the people we are with the, the mind personality complex that any one of us has in their own reality, how can we skillfully participate in this exploration of consciousness at, and at the same time bringing it into like the everyday life that, you know, um, I hope we never go back to normal quotation marks here after this Corona revolution, but we just go forward into evolution. And so how do you feel this skillful participation can look or could look? One way is to begin practicing taking second person perspective on the regular with other humans. And a second person perspective when it's authentic, if it's you and I, Julian, it's like, can I actually get Julian's perspective from Julian's perspective without adding or taking away from it or changing it at all in such a way that Julian knows I get his perspective? Getting that as a habit is revolutionary. Walk us through it. I, lo I love where you just went with that. that like, can you walk us through it in an example with me? Yeah, so Julian and I, the spot. Yeah. Julian and I, before our conversation that's been recorded here, we're talking about, about that. <laughs> we're talking about the explosive topic of sexuality and money, more so about sexuality and sexual energy, which isn't yet still explored to my satisfaction in the general mainstream culture because there's so much sensitization, fear, um, thousands of years of religious suppression and shaming and wronging of that. And so you, Julian, shared some certain things about your perspective. Can I get where you're at from your perspective about whatever I'm asking you? Can I actually just listen to you widely enough to get your perspective from your perspective without having to twist it in some way or make it match my own understanding? Can I really get your perspective? Here's a simpler matter less explosive. I know you have a beloved that you're in a partnership with. And I imagine from time to time, there's a question of what should we eat? So let's say you and I are partners and I say, Julian, what do you want to eat? And you say, you know, I really want some Vietnamese food. I'm just hungry for it. Can we have some Vietnamese food? 
I might not want Vietnamese food. I might want burgers and fries. If all I do is focus on burgers and fries, and I don't really give you the sense that I care about what you want, and I've asked you what you want, <laughs> I'm putting a tension pattern between us. It may be subtle at first, but every time I do that, every time I don't get your perspective in such a way that you know I get it, I add another tension pattern in our relationship, like a callus or armor between us. We don't have to go get Vietnamese. We might end up going and getting Thai food or some compromise in between. But maybe I say to you, well, what is it you're looking for in Vietnamese food tonight? And you say, you know, I'm just tired of basic flavors in my mouth. I just need to experience some, some more pizzazz, some more umami or some more spice or use certain flavors. And then I can say, oh, I hear you, I get that. Well, you know, there's this other thing that I would be interested in that also seems to have any of those flavors. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I just really want Vietnamese food. And then I get to choose. Am I going to go along? It's not going to kill me to eat Vietnamese food with you. It's a small example. Now, here's another example. We're both just, we both want to build an important building, a little structure, a garden, let's say. Is it going to be biodynamic? Is it going to be permaculture? Is it going to be traditional? Is it going to be industrial farming? How do we work that out on our shared piece of land? If we don't have room to get each other's perspectives and investigate and ask questions that we're really interested in discovering, we're just competing really for rightness. Yeah, that's exactly what just came up for me is that there's a competition for rightness, which is kind of the state of our society, really. And it's so weird, back to the example of if I have some disease on my left hand, hopefully my right hand is interested in helping. Mm. Those who've really had deep awakening temporary states or have moved into them as stages, whether it's through guided plant medicine, whether it's through meditative practices, come to experience at some point or another that we are all fingers on one hand. Hmm. What I do to you, I do to me. What I do to me, I do to you, even if you don't see me doing it. And so if I actually care about that reality in a way that touches my heart, I'm gonna operate differently. I'm gonna have a different mechanism for making choices and decisions understanding that my choices and decisions, even when I'm seemingly behind closed doors, affect a lot of people. My inner state is contagious as is everybody else's. What's the inner state I'm cultivating and do I want it to catch in other people? Would I wish this on other people? As we find more self-love, which you were talking to me about before we recorded, as we find real authentic self-love, if it's real, it will turn into compassion for other beings, including plants and animals. Just naturally, or it's some form of narcissism. Hmm.
yeah, those were some really good examples to bring, you know, to, to bring into the real pragmatic perceivable part, no matter who we are. Um, obviously all of those layers are real. Um, definitely got me off my track of questions I knew to ask next, which is usually a good sign. Wonderful. So Scott, I have, I do have a few more questions, but I'm curious if there's anything else that you feel like, like adding or um, guiding us back to the, 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 the real origin here that, that we were sharing about. Yeah, love is the whole story. Mm. The longer I live, two things are obvious and they were very obvious to me, strikingly obvious at my mom's bedside in hospice last year. The two most important things about life I could observe, breath, breath, Without breath, this body is a corpse. And the quality of my breathing is the quality of my experience of the moment. And then love. Without love, what's the point? Why be here? And love is something we can grow the capacity to come from, orient to, share, and have it be a, a ruling principle in all choices on all levels of society, what would love do? What would unconditional love do? What would compassion do? It's a very beautiful question and definitely a question that I, you know, bring into um, some of my personal contexts regularly when I'm kind of lacking the next answer or the next step like what would you know some people might might in their um, references and say what would, what would jesus do or what would krishna do or what would or what would love do through me right now in this moment i find love is a very challenging um topic for many people because in the definition of love that you know i hold personally love is kind of as you said earlier in another way to say abundant joy right so it, it's this it's this all permeating reality or existence. And then at the same time, the more you talk about love, like talk about a format where, you know, talking about love is, is difficult, a podcast is, <laughs> is, is the more you talk about it, usually the further away you get from it, because it, what it really is, is the state of connectivity. There, there's no need for words. There's no need for an exchange because you can just return to that feeling of realizing, oh, wow. If I'm not adding a meaning to it, if I'm not adding an opinion to it, if I'm not adding my judgment to it, what is still there is the connection, the love, the abundant joy that's actually omnipresent. If we're going to talk about it, why not practice it whilst talking about it to the best of our ability? And then it has a transmission that's palpable to anyone who's receptive. When the Dharma just becomes talk, everything is lost. Yeah, 100%. I feel like this is one of the big challenges of um, being called to make the Dharma uh, visible and, and uh, connective through a platform that is uh, an interview-based platform, right? Yeah. It's one of those challenges to return over and over again to what is behind the interviews for me personally that furthers love, understanding, and connectivity, and ultimately this 
this uh, resonance of abundant joy because just to talk is you know maybe inspiring when 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 someone listens but at the same time it it's it's not really the essence of it what's the essence of it is the connectivity that's created the weaving or the 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 you know seeding of ideas when with with people listening with you know me listening to you or um and and so for me that's that's actually a question i hold quite a bit in my consciousness as i'm on this journey that expresses itself through very much a platform that is that is based on conversations yeah yeah and because it's electronic does not limit the love you know anybody who's really got the capability to feel love if you and i are practicing self-love that includes one another that's palpable even if we don't speak Course in Miracles is very clear. All minds are joined. All hearts are joined. It doesn't say it that way, but that's the implication. Hmm. And there are no secret thoughts. No, there are not. And the all hearts are joined is a very interesting one for me because very um, regularly, regularly, irregularly, it's nothing I could set my timer for, but um, the cosmic timer is set for it. I have a visceral experience of this heartstring that interconnects all of us with everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'll share a little story here because it feels like the right, the right moment for, you know, everyone who's followed us into this rabbit hole of this conversation. Um, last time I went to Los Angeles, maybe the last time, maybe not the last time, one of the last times I went to Los Angeles, I went to see Ama and Ama for those who don't know is the hugging saint and she is a force of nature, quite a phenomena as a, a person, a being, a being more so than maybe than the person. And I had one of those very out of body experiences in my body. So long story short, for those of you who haven't been with Ama or in a setting where, you know, there's a lot of chanting and a lot of, you know, ritual, and you know, lining up for ritual, Ama draws thousands of people, essentially to be hugged by her. And so there's a lot of organization, organizational and logistical effort around that because hugging thousands of people in uh, as little time as possible while genuinely being and expressing in that love is, yeah, it just requires a lot of logistics. And so people were lining up, people had numbers and codes and you knew, okay, I'm up in about two hours from now. and Or five. Or five, exactly. <laughs> but then the way life sometimes happens, somehow um, I got to speak with one of the swamis that was doing the, the chanting. And somehow there was a, a magical, mysterious connection between people that are very dear to his heart and people that are very influential in, in, in my and my partner's life. And so what happened was, we suddenly fast-tracked this entire lineup and we're like, with Ama. So yep. my mind had zero time to prepare for it, which was a great ad additional value for me. So rather than facing this entire like, oh, okay, I'm going to line up there now. What am I going to do? Am I going to get some food first? Am I going to like buy some souvenirs? I was just suddenly on the stage and then suddenly Ama just grabbed my head and, and pulled it towards her leg and you know her, her body and just like prayed over me. 
And it all happened faster than I could understand. And next thing I remember, I was sitting next to her and I was sitting a little further away from her. And then I was standing at the back of the stage again. And I'm, I'm kind of come back to my regular tracking senses. And the reason why I'm sharing this story, Scott, is because what happened in this moment, right after the hug, the energy in the room started to change for me. The, the energy became a visceral, visceral, a visceral, but also a visible grid of connection between people's hearts. So as if there was a, well, as if <laughs> there was a, a string of light connecting people's hearts to each other. And it was almost like I just received this hug, but in my consciousness, because this was the only way I could have explained it, I, I felt like everyone in the room suddenly drank ayahuasca because we're all now in this, this sauce of universal consciousness together. But really what happened was just I was hugged by someone who you know, made it their, their being's essence and suddenly something lifted for me that changed my regular perception. And I just, I just couldn't get it out of my, my mind's impression how I saw the heartstrings of everyone connect and then especially the people that I stood next to and especially why I stood next to these people and why I had to talk to that specific person because our heartstrings were actually made to match in this very moment. Tracing back to find, find the, you know, landing our conversation here that form of love, that form of presence to the way our hearts are actually all, you know, all one in a, in a very, um, in a very real way and not, and not, and not so much of an esoteric way that happened to me in this moment, in this really uh, benign uh, location. It was just another shopping mall construct in the middle of Los Angeles. But the magic was just right for me in this moment to fully immerse into it. Yeah. Yeah. And then for me, the constant reminder, having spent time with charismatic teachers who can manifest in their programs tremendous power and love transmissions, is that the energy of grace belongs to no one person and not to confuse the teacher with the grace. Teachers also have personality. Teachers also have challenges and triggers. And I have yet to meet one who's honest, even late stage development, who doesn't say they can still be triggered. It's just the ground of being is more accessible. The, the way back to, to transforming it is more accessible. But we're still in a body. We still have nervous systems that take in data from the senses that can experience fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. So grace is an equal opportunity uh, offering. The Vishwasara Tantra says, what is here is there, what is not here is nowhere. Hermetic alchemy says it in its own way, as above, so below, as within, so without. And other teachings say it their own way. So what this means is what we're searching for is already everywhere or nowhere to be found. Abundance and it just seems more concentrated around certain places where people are tuning to it while they are. Well, that's really just, just the, the gist of that whole experience with Amma was like everyone was attuned to that. That's why we were all there. It felt like we were all focusing our expectations towards uh, all the phenomena happening. And for me, it had a lot to do with Amma, but also nothing to do with Amma. 
as yeah. a, as a as a personality. Yeah. Well, it, it, we're we're circling back to this idea of abundant joy, which is either all places at once or nowhere at all. So Scott, thank you so much for you know taking the time again and you know sharing sharing your insights and your wisdom and your perspective. And everyone who's you know inspired by our conversation, I highly recommend to check out um, in the ecstatic breath work, but also the follow-up sequence. Very much can bring that access to abundant joy into our everyday lives. Is there anything else you'd love to share or something you'd love to point at or you'd love to add? Simply this, grace is real. Grace makes the impossible possible. The path is real. And the real reality of waking up more deeply and growing up more fully is real and available. And it, and it can happen for anybody who's listening, who's willing to put in the practices of awareness and self-discipline to grow. Thank you. Thank you, Scott.